Well, amen. Church, I want to ask you if you would to turn in your copies of God's Word, or perhaps on your phone, to 1 Peter chapter 2. Appreciate Matt reading that passage. It's kind of a sister passage to the one we'll be considering today. What Matt read finished this way, In Him you also are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I've entitled this sermon, The Church is the Building. And uh, I want to make a, a quick reminder that for those who would be helped by this, perhaps uh, those who, are, uh, who struggle with hearing, I do provide copies of the sermon. They're usually in the back there. For those who are in the, in the fellowship hall, they're on the table. Uh, those are you know, available to you if you'd like those, if it would be a help uh, to you. But I've entitled this sermon, The Church is the Building. You know, we hear often that the church is not the building. And we know what we mean when we say that. We mean that this building that we gather in today is, is not the church, right? But there's another sense in which the church is the building. In this passage in Ephesians that Matt read, and in the passage that we're going to consider today, what, what God is saying, inspired through the Bible authors, is that what is happening to those of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, those of us that God has called out from, from darkness and into marvelous light, He has not called us into an individual existence. Yes, He has called us as individuals, He's regenerated, opened the eyes, opened the eyes of the hearts of those of us who now believe. He's opened our eyes on an individual basis, but He's not left us in that condition. He's called us into a body. And He calls this body the church. And the picture of the church is, is a building. So I'd like to read today uh, from 1 Peter chapter 2 as we see uh, what God might teach us from, uh, from, from this passage. 1 Peter chapter 2, we will consider the first 12 verses. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone, so there's the building imagery, as you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones. We're like little versions of Jesus. We're like living stones. We're being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, you are a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You see all this corporate language? In other words, this togetherness language, a race, a priesthood, a nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him. There's the mission. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Why don't we stop right there and pray? God, anytime we are confronted with your word, a dangerous situation ensues. We know that we will either walk away from your word a little more soft and supple to it, a little more ready, willing to be, to be formed by it, or we will walk away with a heart that is just a little harder. Lord, your, work all, your word always does its work. I pray that today your word would, would land on ears and would land on hearts that are, that are ready to hear beautiful things from the scriptures. I pray that I would not get in the way of that. I pray that I would make these things clear, that I would just expose what's in the text, and that you would come. And that you would do your work by your Holy Spirit so that we could believe the good things that we see here. God, would you do that? If you don't do it, it won't happen. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. In 2013, uh, Whitney and I built a house. And I don't know, for one reason or another, it seemed like that year, that winter, uh, production was going really slowly. Things were not moving very fast in the building industry. I don't you know, know exactly why that was the case with our particular house, um, but, but we were happy. We were happy the day that they came and poured the foundation of the house because it, it represented progress to us. It represented, okay, finally, the house is on its way, right? We signed these papers, we've already given some money, and we're ready to see something start to take shape. But you know what I recall, or what I, what I observe about thinking back on that day, is that the day that the foundation was poured, we were not ready to go in there and set up our bed and, and spend the night. We were not ready to raise a newborn at that day. The reason was because without the rest of the house being in place, there was a kind of nurturing that we couldn't provide for, for a kid. There was a kind of safety that was not there, right, from the elements because there was no roof. There were no walls. There was no running water. Friends, my fear, my fear is that for the last 20 or 30 years or probably about the period of time that I've been alive, 30 or 35 years, I think that we in the church in the United States, we have so emphasized your, your little personal relationship with Jesus that we've almost made it seem like it's something that you can do by yourself. I'm afraid that we have accidentally or inadvertently downplayed the role that other people, that the community of the saints, that the local church is supposed to have in the life of believers. I believe there are many Christians, many people who are genuine Christians, and many people who think they're Christians but are not, are trying to, are trying to like camp out on a, on a slab on a foundation, they, they have this foundation of Jesus, but they, they don't have the house. They don't have the building. 
They're not surrounding themselves with the grace that God has given us in the, in the local church. And so today, in this little mini-series that we're doing in between the books of, in between the books of James, we just finished, and the book that we're going to begin, the Gospel of John, I suppose I'm announcing that now, we're going to be going to the Gospel of John next, which is quite a commitment. I hope you'll stick with us through that longer book. But as we consider this little mini-series, what's a church? Why do we have a church? Is the church kind of an optional little aftermarket add-on to the Christian life that we can really just do ourselves? Or is it more than that? The church is the building. Here's the first point. We have a center. We have a center. I want to I draw your attention to this, these verses 4 and 5 again in 1 Peter chapter 2. It says this, As you come to him, a living stone, Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You see the imagery here? You don't have a house without a cornerstone, at least in the, in the biblical times. They, they set the cornerstone, they built the house around it, right? You have this one big cornerstone, and then you have these little stones that get built. And, and at the end of the day, what you have is a, is a building that forms around this thing that holds everything kind of together in the corner. So we see two things here. If we are little stones imitating the living stone, right, the cornerstone, then we are to imitate the one that we are being built around. But then secondly, we are also together around Him and Him only. I'm afraid that many churches are built on other cornerstones. I'm afraid that many churches are, are trying to construct themselves around things other than Christ, other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and this is why it says in the verse right before this, in verse 3, look what it says. If, which as you remember from English class, if is like a conditional conjunction, right? If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This building is being built up around the cornerstone of Jesus and it is being constructed of, of these little stones who are those who have seen that Jesus is good. A church, a New Testament church, a biblical church is a church that's made up of those who are believers, who have seen Jesus as sweet, who have seen their sin as sour, who know that their works are not nearly enough and who have turned to the cross of Christ as their only hope for being made right with God. That is who makes up the church. So for Christ to be at the heart of the church, He must have changed the hearts of the individual believers who make up the church. And I would say that the same call that Paul gave to the New Testament believers to the early church, is the call that we need to heed today. Let's make our calling and our election sure as we gather around this cornerstone, Jesus. Many churches have strayed from this. I'm afraid that perhaps because of a lack of gospel preaching or just a lack of, of understanding of the gospel, I think that it's possible to be so familiar with the things of God, but yet not to have laid hold of them. Friend, I would ask you, have you laid hold of the gospel? Has your sin become sour to you? Have you come to hate it? Have you come to see Jesus as altogether beautiful and glorious? And if that's you, I, I pray that you would just hear these words from 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him 
we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, I would ask you, don't miss the language here, the language of cornerstone in this, in this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2. At the center of every biblical church is not first and foremost a set of preferences or a set of desires or a set of traditions or a collection of people who just kind of generally have a, enough things in common that they can you know, exist around one another for a period of time. Instead, at the center of every biblical church is a passion for Christ and Christ alone. Because He has changed our hearts. The days are short. And the culture is changing around us. Friends, the ground is moving beneath our feet. We must be willing to throw anything overboard. Except for the cornerstone of Jesus. Anything that might be a distraction to taking to taking the true and undefiled gospel to our neighborhood and to the nations because the cornerstone is the only thing that matters. No preferences, no traditions, no opinions, but the cornerstone. It's important to realize that this cornerstone is rejected by the world. It's also important to realize if we're going to gather around him, if we're going to gather around this man, we have to be ready. We have to be ready for the reality that our gathering around him will not be understood by most folks. Now, sure, in Todd County, it's still going to make sense, right? Because here, you're still expected to go to church, just like where I grew up, right? It makes sense to folks around here that you might go to church. But this kind of radical abandon, this kind of, this kind of giving your life over to, to the one that has saved you in such a way that it alters your finances and your schedule and the way that you raise your kids and the, and the way that you consider your, your summer vacation and your retirement and everything like that, that is going to look very odd to the world and it might even look odd in a number of churches. But we stand by this cornerstone, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So we should be, we should be quick, though, to turn this to a point of praise. And I would ask you this morning, how you answer the question, how you answer this following question tells, tells you everything you need to know about what you believe about yourself and God. Why are you today in Jesus? It's not because you're smarter. It's not because you are more spiritual. It's because if you find yourself today believing in the Lord Jesus, it's because God has done a work in your heart. The stone that was rejected by the world, why have we come to value him? Why does he seem sweet to us when he seems repulsive to the rest of the world? It's because God is, is, is among our midst and he's doing a work among us through the power of his Holy Spirit. He's causing dead men to live. And if that's you, you can say with Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, where is the one who is wise? Not me. Where is the, where is the scribe? It wasn't me. That's not why I'm in Christ. Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ and Him crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the
the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Why do we preach the gospel? Why do we preach Christ and Him crucified? Because, friends, that's the message that has the power. That's the message that can cause dead men to live. That's the message that God can use through the power of His Holy Spirit to open blind eyes, to cause the scales to fall off, and to cause the army to be raised up from the valley of dry bones. It is important to remember also that if we are to have this cornerstone that is rejected by the world, we will never be cool. Your kids, we recognize some of them today going on to different endeavors and different stages of their development and growth. It will, it will become the case increasingly in the years to come that to identify with Christ will not gain you something anymore. It will actually cost you something. It will cost your kids something to continue to follow Him. Your kids will find that it won't be cool. I have a lot of experience in this. I've been practicing not being cool for a long time. But for those of us who have been converted to God, to those of us who have, if we have indeed tasted and seen that the Lord is good, for those that Jesus seems sweet to, listen to the words of Jesus in Luke 18. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. I pray, I pray God's power over the young people, some of whom are represented this morning. I pray God's power for this church so that we might be able to develop the kind of disciples who see Jesus as so sweet and so worthwhile that they are willing to endure the shame of the world in order to continue to follow Him, come what may. Come what may. Secondly, the first point was that we have a center. Second point is this. We have a house. We have a house. I believe that the... The church is the building. Look at verse 5. It says this. Verse 5 says this. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then verse 9. Verse 9 says this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him. And then look at verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see what He's saying here? He's saying that yes, Jesus came to you as an individual. He called you out, but He placed you. He didn't call you into an existence as an individual. He called you into a body. He called you into a church. He called you into the people of God. And the people of God are everywhere represented in local churches throughout the world. And this is why Cyprian, early church father, lived in the 200s, said this. It was two generations perhaps after the apostles. He says, no one can have God for his father who doesn't have the church for his mother. 
That's how the early church understood this relationship. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christianity. I'll just go down to the bookstore and get me a devotional. I have my little personal time with Jesus. No, the church is given to us as a gift so that we can bump up against other believers and yes, bump up against other sinners and so be sharpened so that we might be more fit for the kingdom of God that we're all headed toward one day. God has given us the churches of grace. Friends, I pray that we would think no small thoughts about it. Cyprian knew what the Bible teaches, that genuine conversion to Christ always walks hand in hand with a love for the people of God. And so that's why I give you this picture of Whitney and I in 2013. We've got a house, or at least a foundation but the foundation doesn't provide protection. The foundation alone, right? We have everything that we need if we're converted to Christ. We know that the thief on the cross would see Jesus in paradise that very day. But for those of us who are not in those very odd situations like being a thief on a cross and having this little deathbed conversion, the reality is that God has given us the local church for our good and for His glory so that inside the house we might be nourished, we might be kept warm, we might be fed, and we might grow because we have the protection of what He has provided through the people of God. It's frustrating sometimes, isn't it, being around other sinners? Why can't I just why can't I just do this by myself? Why can't I, I feel like if I go to church, I'm so spiritually advanced, those people there would just hold me back. It's a fool who thinks this way. Because God has given us help and He's given us grace in the form of the people of God. Notice the wording here if you look. A people, right? You see what he's doing here? A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, comma, a people for his own possession. Just the play on words that's going on here is incredible. It says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession... Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The picture is clear. Those who have received mercy now are to make up this house. They are to be stones that God is able to fit into just the right hole. And He knows exactly where you go. He knows exactly the role that He has for you. It doesn't matter how, you know, if, if you're a window or if you're you know, a, a baseboard or if you're a threshold. The only thing that matters for those who are believers is that they get together around the cornerstone and be built into the house that gives Him glory. Friends, this is a beautiful picture that God has given us. I would ask you, don't think small thoughts of the church. Instead, let me, let me encourage you to, to trust what God says is good for you. Don't, 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 don't look at this. Pre- I don't want you to come to church because I ask you to. I don't want you to be involved in church because I want somehow a big church, right? I think that one day when I have to go before the Lord and give an account to Him for what I did among the people that I shepherded, I think that I will probably hope that I had fewer people to give an account for instead of more, right? Because it's a heavy, weighty thing. But the reality is, I'm going to ask you, see beautiful things in the Scriptures about the church because God says they're good for you. 
Because God says they're good for the advancing of His kingdom. Because God says that the church is not a detour. It's not an aftermarket add-on that somehow bolts on to what you already have. Instead, it is the very means of God taking the gospel to the neighborhood and to the nations. It is God's plan A for the New Testament believer. And then lastly, not only do we have a center, not only do we have... Um, I don't remember my points. Not only do we have a house, but we also have a mission. Look at how beautiful this is. He tells us, you individuals who have been called out, right? You've been, you've been saved by Jesus. You've responded to his call. You've, you've repented of your sins. You've, you've turned away from them. And now you've been formed into this people. So what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to just kind of sit around like the little, I don't know, the waiting area in the airport waiting for your plane to come in to take you off to heaven one day? Is that what our existence is supposed to be like? He says, no. Look at verse 9. You are a chosen race. Okay, so you've been brought into this people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And here comes the purpose statement. That, or, or read, so that so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Friends, not only do we have a center, not only do we have a cornerstone, a foundation, right? Not only do we have a, a foundation, and not only do we have a house where we get to get nourished in, but we get to get nourished in this house for a purpose and for a mission so that we can go out of these doors and out of this congregation and tell others about the one who has saved us. We have a mission, friends. See, it is not simply enough to have a center. It's not simply enough to have a house. We have a purpose. And he communicates that here, that we may proclaim his excellencies. Excellencies is a funny word. You put it in a word processor and it gives you little red squiggly lines under it. It's like, that's not a word. But this word, it's like they had to coin a term when they translated this Greek phrase and to, to explain what it is that this is. The, the excellencies, the, the, the manifold beauties of who Jesus is is what we get to tell to those who are here entrusted to us and to those who are outside who are also equally entrusted to us. And this is why we use the language that we do here at Trenton Baptist Church, that we have been called to be a people in order to take the gospel to the neighborhood and to the nations. And I'll leave you with one final note, one final thought. Those of you who I call our special forces who come on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and listen to the Old Testament, he calls us a priesthood. What is a priesthood? What does a priest do? And how are we to be a priesthood today? Friends, in the Old Testament, what a priest, what a priest did, he symbolically, he stood in between sinful people and a holy God. And he did the things necessary to turn the wrath of God away from the sinful people. He stood in the middle. Moses is a kind of priest he intercedes for the people and turns God's wrath away. Jesus is the true and better priest. He came on the cross, lived the perfect life we couldn't live, died the death that we deserve, so that that wrath that was coming from God could be diverted, could be taken away from us and put on Jesus. He drank that cup to the dregs of the wrath of God for us. And how is it that God now calls us to be a priesthood? We can't do what Jesus did on the cross. We can't be Moses. Friends, we are still called today 
to be an intermediary of sorts, to be a go-between of sorts, to stand between people that God's wrath is headed toward and the wrath of God so that we might tell them about the message that can save them. We are to be those who tell them how to avoid the judgment that is coming. Friends, we've been called to a great purpose. I pray that this vision of the church would just light a fire in you, that you want to be like, all right, I'm ready to go full bore. I'm ready to, to throw anything overboard that might take me away or distract me from this, from this mission. Because if it is the mission, if it is the mission of the New Testament, that means it's the mission for you. That means it's the mission for your family and for your entire life. So believer, give yourself to the church, not because I ask you to, not because you might wonder, oh, he just wants to build a big church or get, you know, get, the, get the tithe money up or something like that. No, friends, we've been called to a greater purpose even than that. We've been called to take the message to our neighborhood and to the nations. And perhaps to the other one who's listening today, who, if you're just very honest with yourself, you're like, I'm really not involved in this. I'm not believing in this stuff that you talk about, Greg. I wonder if this morning you have seen the beauty of the priest, Jesus. The true and better priest. The one who, when the wrath from God was coming toward you, He stepped in your place. And He offers that for anyone who places their faith in Him, that wrath can be turned away from you. It can go straight to Jesus. God Himself fulfilled what God Himself demanded that we could never do. This is a beautiful message. I would ask you, in whatever way that God is now prompting you to, to respond to this message and this call. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, you're so good to us. You give us an apt word. You give us a word that is able at the same time to edify the most mature believer in the room and is able to call the one who's the farthest away from you out of darkness and into marvelous light. And Lord, wherever we locate ourselves on that map, I pray that today we would not walk away with a hard heart. I pray that we would see beautiful things in your scriptures. I pray that we would see beautiful things in the word of God. And I pray that today, if there is one, if there is one who has recognized that, you know what? I've just kind of, I've kind of had just kind of a, a relationship with the church. It's like, if things are going my way, I'll do church. If things are not going my way, I won't do church. But I pray that we, that we would have this, this vision of the church. We see it as the bride of Christ, as the building that we're being built into for our good and for your glory so that we can go and tell others about the message that has changed even us. Lord, I pray if there's one today who is recognizing, who's recognizing that, that you know, I'm not part of this building. I'm not even sure if I have a foundation. That today, by faith, that this, this person, if, if there's one here like that, that this person can lay hold of Jesus Christ, can repent of their sins, can run to Jesus, and can have eternal life beginning today. I pray if there is anyone here where they would run to you, run to you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.